0: Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world, and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince & Convert makes your content better. Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. And by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. Now, here are your hosts, from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody.
1: And from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Content Pros Podcast. We're really excited today. Randy and I are joined by Nick Stein. (laughs)
2: Nick, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time today. For those who don't know, Nick, Nick is the senior VP of marketing at Vision Critical, and uh, Nick and I met, I guess, a couple months ago at a uh, networking dinner. Started talking about content, and, and I quickly learned about his background, which is really fascinating, including some stops at Salesforce.com. But you know, I think the real cool part that we'd love to get into today is you know we always hear about content. Marketers who have come from the journalism world, and uh, you know, we always hear about it, but we don't often get that many of those on content pros. But today, uh, Nick, who's you know had some time at Fortune Magazine and uh, even CBC Television, finally have another Canadian on here with us. Uh, can hopefully fill us in a, a little bit of how that journey's unfolded for him. So, Nick, uh, welcome, and would love to hear how how you move from journalism to B two B marketing.
3: Thanks so much, uh, Randy and Chris. It's it's great to be here with you. And yeah, it, it often is a question that I get when I tell people about my background because it, it seems like, uh, in theory, to be a pretty big leap. But in fact, I think uh, right around the time that I was looking to leave journalism, it's sort of 2010, uh, the... The global sort of recession had happened in, in 08, 09. Traditional media world wasn't doing that well. But around that time, obviously, content marketing was just starting to really come to the fore uh, as the future of marketing. And so what I've actually found is that that the skills that I developed as a journalist, learning to identify And tell great stories and build great narratives are really the foundation of all marketing and and especially content marketing.
1: Yeah. And Nick, maybe if you could touch on a little bit, I, I think now at a lot of the conferences on the content marketing circuit and, you know, B2B marketing, even B2C marketing, we hear a lot of folks say, you know, now is a great time to go out and find a journalism major and bring them in and help them to run content and get them out there writing. What are some of the things you would say to folks with a journalism background to make the transition into content marketing or and, and maybe even the opposite side of that and the things you brought over from the journalism world that help you as a content marketer?
3: Sure, it's a it's a great question. So, I'd really say it comes down to to three things the the first thing is that journalism itself has has changed a lot over the last few years i mean i remember when i was i was writing kind of the big sweeping uh, narrative type stories uh, in magazines like Fortune and and Vogue and others. And I used to get to spend months and months on a story and interview uh, dozens, if not hundreds of people. And it was really when I when I moved into marketing and started to kind of take over the PR function as well that I realized that there's not that much... Of that kind of journalism happening anymore. So that's why I'd say the first thing is to really be be clear on the type of person that you're trying to get and make sure it's someone who understands how to really do research and build a great story. Because I think when I look at a lot of the content that's out there today, the thing that I notice is everything's sort of seems the same. You you have kind of the, the BuzzFeed type effect where, where people are trying to go for clickbait by giving uh, five reasons for this, seven ways to do that better. But when you actually get into the meat of the story, there's not much there there. And so I think being a journalist, you can't really get away with that because your stuff's not going to get published. People aren't going to read it. Uh, There's there's limited real estate in a magazine and when I was at Fortune, for example, we had 40 staff writers all vying for a limited number of spots. And so the stories that you told had to be really clear and compelling. So I think that's the first thing. But the second thing I would say is that I absolutely recommend – going out and hiring journalists. In fact, that's what I've done at Vision Critical. I've built an entire content team of former magazine editors, designers, writers, because I feel like those people understand not just about how to write good copy, but how to tell good stories that are going to grab people. And as we look, especially at the top of the funnel, uh, it's, it's so important to be able to grab a prospect at the at the idea phase where maybe they deep down they understand they have some sort of a problem or challenge they don't really know how to articulate it or what it is, but they're out there searching online for an answer, a solution to this pain that they have. And if you can grab them with a really compelling story, that's the best way to start that conversation with them. So so that's the second thing. And then I think the, the last thing I would say uh, about the importance of hiring journalists is just that you get people who were sort of trained to be really careful and thoughtful with their copy. Uh, one of the things I notice a lot and that's and been surprising and in coming into the corporate world uh, is just how, how few people there are that are really strong copy editors. And so you start to see all kinds of potentially embarrassing grammatical spelling issues creeping into copy. And I just find that journalists, you're sort of ingrained to, to really be careful with the stuff that you're putting out there, um, not just because you may be sued over it, but because these are real people that you're writing about with real lives. And uh, I remember I taught journalism for, for a few years when I lived in New York at NYU and at Columbia. And One of the things that I used to do was actually make my students interview and write a profile of one another because when you've had journalism done to you, when you've had somebody misspell your name or get your title wrong or what you do wrong, it's really the only way you get that real visceral sense for, oh, I actually have the power to impact someone's life. And I think when someone comes into uh, a content marketing role and already has that understanding, they're just going to be a lot more thoughtful and careful about what they're putting out. And in the world we're in today where you know blogs are getting put up every, every 20 minutes, uh, having somebody who understands the importance of not just getting a good story, not just telling it in a compelling way, but also making sure they get it right, these are, are really valuable qualities to have.
2: Well, I, I, feel like I have 15 questions from that. Uh, there's so much, you know, so much things that you just mentioned that, that seem so obvious, but we don't take enough time to stop as marketers and really be more strategic, perhaps is, is the best word to describe everything you just, you hit on right there. But going, going back to one of the, the points that you made, um, and, and made at the beginning and then kind of wrapped up at the end was this idea that as a journalist, you would work sometimes months on a story until it came out. And, as content marketers working for the brand, we feel a need to turn over new content so that we have something to post on a, on a more regular basis. Do you think that that we need to start to to be more um, you know planned in some of the content that's coming out for the future? Um, and obviously, we need to speak to the moment and, and be in the moment. But I'm wondering if you've perhaps had any projects where you've done with your team. Beyond the ebook, I mean, we've always thought of the ebook to be this, you know, golden asset that we take so long to polish and produce. But I think quite often that's more from a design perspective than a content perspective. So is there any content uh, you know, that you've put out recently where you really took the time before you went out and you published that? It's,
3: it's a great question. I mean, I when I first got into content marketing, I did feel that that immediate pressure. And I think it's a it's it's an seo based pressure as well because yeah on the one hand you're trying to pr- find find that content that's going to really resonate and impact with uh, with your audience with with your prospects but on the other hand you need them to be able to find you at the same time so it's it's how do you strike that balance uh, that happy medium between getting out enough volume uh, with the right search terms that, so that you're able to actually get people to find you in the first place, but then ensure that when they do find you, that what they find is going to be valuable uh, and impactful and useful enough to them that they want to actually start exploring your brand. And so what I've actually found over time is we are incredibly planned uh, on the Vision Critical Marketing team. We actually plan our content uh, six months in advance, and I actually my my core philosophy when it comes to this is that your brand is really the the ultimate narrative. So we actually start with one theme, which we will use as our sort of overarching theme for everything we talk about for a six month period, and we start with that, and then we sort of layer down into that. Okay, now that we have that overarching theme, uh, let's look at the different personas that we're trying to reach with our content. At Vision Critical, we sell to uh, large enterprises. So typically companies of a billion dollars or more in revenue across multiple different verticals and across multiple roles. So when I'm thinking about creating a piece of content, I'm starting to think about, okay, I need to find something that is going to resonate at a high level at a visceral level, across all these different audiences and segments and subsegments, segments But at the same time, I then have to drill down and figure out, okay, how do I now take that, that high-level theme, that high-level idea, and make it personal, make it impactful for that person who may be uh, a product marketer at a tech company versus an innovation uh, professional in uh, retail or CPG versus maybe a, a CMO in healthcare, they all kind of have have the same core issues that we're dealing with that that we as a company address, but we address them in very different ways, depending on who they are. And so it really starts with Uh, for us, with thinking about at a high level, what is that plan? And then actually starting to plan out the different storylines that we want to execute, and then the different channels that we have in which to execute that content, and the different types of assets that we're going to use. So uh, I have found over time, especially as as we're a a fairly large marketing team here of about 30, 30 30-ish people, that we need to be very planned and organized and thoughtful in our approach. Um, And I've actually found that even on mediums like the blog, where you would think that that the most recent, the most up-to-date, the most trendy content is going to perform the best, that over time, when it comes to looking at what what are people actually reading and what's helping to convert those people it's it's the longer more thoughtful more information rich posts that are more evergreen that actually have the biggest impact and yield the greatest value
1: nick thank you for the beautiful segue i don't even have to set that up when you were talking about themes and storytelling The whole time I was thinking about one of our sister or brother podcasts, which Park Howell runs, and it's called Business of Story. So it's under the convince and convert umbrella, and Park brings together a stellar lineup of storytellers across all industries. It ranges from Hollywood to B2B, and their insights can help take your business content from meh to wow. If you tune in at businessofstory.com, you can catch all of the most recent episodes there. Randy and I have each been guests on the show, and he does an amazing job with storytelling. Nick, I wanted to dive back in with the the planning and the themes. And I think we've all heard people say, well, what content is coming? You know, what's the plan? And then you said that you're trying to close mostly people with over a billion dollars in revenue. So we've heard a lot of attention lately on account-based marketing and kind of that one-to-one relationship to close bigger fish. But what does the content process look like trying to bring in additional revenue from huge, huge clients like that? What's the role of the content that you create and how does that help close deals?
3: It's it's a great question, Chris. And really the, there are two main roles that our content has. The first role is actually to build awareness uh, and to capture those those prospects in the first place to bring them into our funnel but then we create a whole second set of content which is really geared to help our sales organization to to take those early stage opportunities and help move them through the sales process more quickly and efficiently and very often it will be the same core themes in both pieces of content but the one uh, that that brings people in in the first place is really geared toward talking to them at the level of their business challenges of of their business issues whereas the second one is more geared toward how our our specific solutions help address those, those solutions. So pretty pretty standard in terms of your, your thinking around top and middle and and bottom of the funnel. But we really find that when you're selling into the enterprise, the, the second piece of it, which is often overlooked by content marketers, is so important because uh, my team is actually measured on revenue contribution to the business. So it's not enough to just bring in a bunch of great leads or even to get those leads to be marketing qualified or even for sales to accept those, those as opportunities in their pipeline. If they don't go anywhere, then, then we're not really getting recognized. And that's made me be very, very thoughtful about not just the type of content I produce, but also how are we measuring what we're producing, because uh, I mean, I remember when I I spent a couple of years at Salesforce. Uh, they through an acquisition, I had been working at a, a a startup based here in Toronto called Ripple, and we built it up. and Salesforce acquired us, and I spent a couple of years there. And at because of the the platform and the audience that they had there, uh, we were able to do a webinar with Tony Robbins that I think generated something like. Twelve or thirteen thousand registrations, which obviously is is massive. But then, when I went back and looked at how many of those people are actually converting, how many of them are actually turning into real viable customers, it was it was a tiny infinitesimal percentage. And I think when you when you look at it that way, it makes you a lot more careful about ensuring that the content that you're spending your time and energy and resources on is actually geared toward achieving the goals that you're trying to achieve. Um, And if you're working in the sort of small and medium size business where you are really trying to generate thousands and tens of thousands of leads and the deals are a lot smaller then I think going for those big blowout you know how many people can I get to download my my ebook or or come to my webinar is really important. But as you start going after what what Randy was talking about, those bigger bigger fish, the much larger accounts, it becomes less about volume and more about ensuring you're actually getting the right people in the room, the right people seeing your content. Um, And that really comes down to how valuable is the content to them, what's in it for them. And so that's why I think we spend so much of our time thinking about not just... Uh, can we, can we use a flashy headline to get a bunch of people to register for our webinar, but can we actually provide something really valuable and meaningful and different, give them a new perspective, a fresh perspective on a challenge that they're facing so that they are, they're more likely to actually take us seriously and start to engage in a, in, in what is a pretty lengthy ongoing conversation through the sales process
2: it's It's really interesting as as you describe that. I mean, again, it makes perfect sense, but I come back to something that you started with earlier in terms of the the dynamic of your team, the backgrounds of your team, a lot of you coming from a journalism background. And these ideas are are very different than how we how we would have perhaps thought as as journalists versus now, what do we have to think about? As you said, you guys are measured on con, on revenue contribution. And you're segmenting your content based on building awareness and then sales organization. How, how have you motivated your team to think about that? And how have they perhaps kept some of their old mindset as being a journalism as it relates to debatable topics like to gate content or not to gate content? Um, you know, how, how does that kind of get formed amongst your team?
3: Well, it's, it's interesting because we have a really great dynamic on our team and a good mix of people who who are really driving our content development and our design and our brand came out of the journalism world. But then we also have people who came from marketing, people who understand uh, the, the sort of modern marketing demand gen, marketing automation world really, really well. And one of the things we do is try and create a lot of cross-pollination between those groups. So we have daily stand-ups where instead of your your normal stand-up where people just get up and say, this is what I'm working on, we actually get the different teams in marketing to present uh, something that they've learned, something that they've developed so that the, the journalists in the room are getting the value of actually hearing about how the demand gen folks are thinking about conversion, thinking about measurement and metrics. And at the same time, the, the folks in demand gen are getting exposure to these are the kinds of stories we're developing. This is how our brand look and feel is evolving. So there's a lot of kind of ongoing learning and development happening on the team, which makes that transition hopefully easier. I mean, I went through that transition myself. I think it was a little easier because I had been at Fortune, because I had been writing about a lot of the companies and getting to interview folks like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and um, (coughs) a lot of amazing business leaders. That was sort of ingrained in me uh, a little bit more than folks who may have come from, from other areas of journalism. But I think one of the, the skills that you need to be an effective journalist is you need to kind of be able to be parachuted in to an unfamiliar territory and get up to speed pretty quickly so that you can surface and write something that doesn't make you look like a complete idiot. And so I think journalists tend to, at least good journalists, tend to be pretty good at learning on the fly and, and developing a comfort level in new areas. And that helps them when it comes to the marketing transition.
1: I think that's really helpful, Nick. I'm still sitting there trying to wrap my head around revenue contribution. And I think there are probably many content marketers that are listening to this where that is a terrifying concept because most of what we produce is kind of that top of the funnel awareness type content. And then just thinking of the funnel as three buckets, top, middle, and bottom of the funnel, you know, bottom may be proof points, customer stories, that kind of thing, but Knowing that that's one of your primary metrics, the contribution to revenue, how does that change the content strategy and the types of content you produce?
3: It's it's a great question, and it's it's something that we've we've developed and worked on over time. Uh, we actually just just introduced. You don't think of this as a typical piece of content, but we just introduced something which, which we're calling our sales acceleration playbook. And essentially what it is, is it, it's, is it's written and designed for members of our sales team. And it's actually a series of steps that tells them, if you want to take a, an early stage opportunity and move up more quickly, these are the steps you need to take. These are the different pieces of content that you need to use to and it 's almost like mirroring what what a top of the funnel marketer would do with a nurture stream that they were building but we're actually doing it with bottom of the funnel content and actually using it to educate our sales team on what the best practices are because and the way this came about was we we just did a little internal uh, kind of exercise where we started to talk to our most successful sales reps and ask them what it was that made them successful. What was their playbook? And it turned out it was intuitive. None of them had really written it down. None of them really knew exactly what the secret formula was. And so we set about kind of codifying what if we could actually. Come up with a playbook that was a blueprint of what our best reps do time and time again to close business quickly and then be able to share that asset with everyone uh, who, who is in a, a revenue generating function and I mean you wouldn't think of that kind of a, of an asset and it has about ten or twelve as, uh, pieces of content that come along with it as being your typical content marketing asset or program. But those are the things that you you have to start thinking about when you think about uh, revenue contribution. Because one of the things that I often see in marketing organizations, and we sell to marketers, so I talk to a lot of marketers, is, is they, they are telling one story at the top of the funnel and even the middle of the funnel, and it's a really compelling story, and it brings people in, and then they sort of say, job well done. I'm going to shake my hands with, with my friends in sales throw things over to them and now now it's up to them and then all of a sudden that prospect is hearing a completely different story and there's this huge disconnect that happens between the thing that has engaged them in the first place you know i love i love the phrase convince and convert cuz that's really what it what it comes down to you create this compelling content to convince someone but then the content you're using to convert them Doesn't match up. And that's where you end up having, you know, really low rates of conversion after putting all this time and effort and energy and resources into trying to bring these people in in the first place.
2: I, I love that. I, I want to come back to that point. Uh, you know, as you talk about convince and convert, it's a good good time to point to Jay Bear, who's uh, actually going to be coming to Toronto, where you and I are, Nick, um, this August. Uh, Uberflip, my company, is running the Uberflip Experience, which will be a couple of days of great uh, presentations from people. You know, content pros like Nick and and others who we've had on this podcast coming together, learning from people. Jay will be keynoting, and I encourage other people to mark their calendar. Toronto is a, a great city all year round, but especially in August. So August twenty four and twenty five in Toronto. So I I think we had talked about this, Nick, you know, the, the point you just made in terms of the scariness of what actually happens deeper in that funnel. And as marketers, we're very focused on the top of the funnel. And we almost hope that the salespeople are just going to do their jobs with the leads that we provide. And I love that you went out and created this playbook. I'm just I'm I'm honestly wondering the dynamic of how that actually came to be in terms of Determining that marketing will own that? Because I know that as as some companies are starting to put in sales operations roles or sometimes looking to the VP of sales to put these into place. How did you how did it come to be a vision critical that you said, Okay, this is something that marketing is going to own or at least, you know, carry a large part of? And and how well was that received by the sales team?
3: Well it's it's the the perfect question because really i think it it in a typical sales marketing environment you have some tension and the idea that marketing would actually be in a position to say to sales we can tell you how to do your job better you can imagine it's not really uh something that that sales is going to Feel too too happy about or or believe too strongly, and so the approach that we took was was actually to partner with our with our colleagues in sales enablement and to really partner with senior salespeople in the organization, but for marketing to take the lead in in identifying and developing the right content which is really our strength that's where that's where our expertise is uh, and it goes back to something i was saying earlier uh, in the in the podcast which is that if you start with this idea of a high level theme to the content that you're you're producing it makes it much easier for the organization to speak in a unified way with one voice because now, when you're having these conversations as a, as a salesperson, you don't necessarily need to be aware of everything that the marketing team is doing. But what, you're, but what you are aware of is, oh, there are these, these one or two high-level narratives that we're using as a business to speak about who we are and what we do. And so now it's much easier for me to fit my, my sales pitch or or the way that I'm speaking to my prospects within that larger theme. So when it came to this playbook that we were rolling out, we really positioned it not as this is something that marketing is doing, because we feel like we understand how to sell better than you do. It was much more, we have gone about done a, a project internally to figure out what the best sales reps are doing. And we've just created this handy way for you to learn from them uh, so that you can be more successful and hit your quota more frequently as well. So a lot of it comes down to how is it being positioned?
1: I think that's a great approach too. It's not prescriptive. It's kind of, here's what we've learned, which is a very different nuanced conversation to have. So kudos there and nick we always ask one question at the end of our show we're coming to the end of 30 minutes and the question we like to ask is what did you want to be when you grew up
3: well it's it's funny that you asked me that chris because i've always been deeply mistrustful of people who have said since the age of to, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a whatever. The truth is I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, and I kind of like it that way. I think having that open mind uh, made me able to be successful as a journalist. It also allowed me to make the transition uh, into marketing, and I think we're we're in such an exciting moment right now as marketers. We're really – conditions on the ground are changing all the time and I think having a much more flexible attitude to what I want to do with my life allows me to to keep rolling with those changes and embracing them as they happen
1: great answer great answer thank you so much for your time Nick and everyone Vision Critical is the company that Nick represents so you can all check them out On behalf of Randy Frisch from Uberflip, I am Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. You can find more episodes of Content Pros at contentprospodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you like to get your podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for
0: tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uber Flip, and is produced by Convince & Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first
3: search engine for marketing podcasts.